You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the Word of God. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now, full of pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able, He calls you now. When they repented, and this is an important point, folks, when they repented, it was not true repentance. I call it a religious repentance. They repented on the outside. They repented on the outside. They didn't repent in their heart. They didn't repent truly in their heart. That's a religious experience. Jesus railed against the Pharisees and called them hypocrites because on the outside, they were beautiful. But they were whitewashed sepulchers because on the inside they were dead. God wants us to repent of our sins, but He wants it to be real. When we come to Him in sorrow over our sin, we need to not just say the words, but take the steps necessary to turn away from whatever we've done. Pastor Dave reminds us through the story of the Israelites today that true repentance comes from the heart. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 4 with part 1 of his message, a new solution to an old problem. Turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. We're making our way through the book of Judges. A lot of fun. We're having a good time. But turn to Judges 4, please. I mentioned that I wanted to know the names and what they meant of these judges that we're studying. Bill was gracious enough to do a little quick study on those names, and he handed me a sheet that has all the names and what they mean on them. So in chapter 3, we saw the first three judges. We saw Othanel, Ehud, and Shamgar, our favorite. These were the first three judges that God sent to deliver the nation Israel. And it's interesting because when you look at names in the Old Testament, they have meaning. And they're usually something about their name that lets us know who they are, who they were. And anytime you see the letters E-L associated with a name, you know that God is involved in their name because E-L is the name for God or the, or the Hebrew word for God. We read Othanel, and his name is God of power. God of power. Ehud means strength, and Shamgar means destroyer. Now, who didn't know that? I mean, we could, again, I'd love that. I think we're going to have, instead of Conan the destroyer, we're going to have Shamgar the destroyer. I like that. Still hung up on that name. So those are the names. And as we go along, we're going to be looking at the names, not only of the judges, but what they mean, because it's important. We know that Shamgar destroyed those Philistines, 600 men with an ox goad. That was pretty cool. We read in verse 30 of chapter 3 that, So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. The land rested from war for 80 years. And it's interesting that this would be the longest period of rest that the land would have during the time of the judges. This would be the longest time, 80 years. Sadly, however, after Ehud's death, Things once again go downhill for the nation Israel, and the cycle begins once again. Remember the cycle 
I'll repeat it for you. Everyone begins with a D. The cycle is disobedience, discipline, despair, and deliverance. That's the cycle that we see this. And all too often, way too often for me, I experience this cycle in my life. All too often, I experience this cycle in my life. We become disobedient to the Word of God. We become disobedient to Him. We sin. Following our sin, our disobedience, comes discipline. And then He must chasten us. Remember, we talked about the book of Hebrews, where it talks about that God only chastens those He loves. Nice thing about that is, is if you're being chastened, you can be happy that God loves you. If you're sinning and you're not being chastened, you need to think about some things. You need to reevaluate you. Also in Hebrews, it says we're not to despise the chastening of God. Because the chastening of God would lead us into godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. It's the Lord's want to always bring us back into a right relationship with him. It's kind of like the prodigal father standing out there daily watching for his son to return. Always looking for his son to return. And when he sees him far off, you know the rest of the story. So God is always wanting to bring us back into that right relationship with him. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. It's a wonderful thing. Sometimes he uses others to discipline us. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes he uses others to discipline us. Sometimes he uses circumstances to get our attention. And probably some of you might think about that sometimes when you're going through a various circumstance. He uses circumstances to discipline us, to get us to put our eyes back on him, to get us to refocus on him, and to get us to to look at him in our lives when our eyes have been sidetracked by a circumstance or by the world or whatever. He uses those things. However, like the nation Israel, when we get to despair, the third D And we cry out to God, he is there to receive us and to forgive us and then to restore us back in that right relationship. Once we cry out for his deliverance, once we cry out in despair with a pure heart and a heart that is true and have godly sorrow, not cry out because we've been caught, not cry out because I just want to get out of the situation, but cry out with a godly repentance, a godly sorrow, kind of like David in Psalm 51, against you and Lord, and you alone have I sinned and done this thing. And how he laments about how he hurt God. We know godly sorrow leads to repentance. We just said that. And then when we do that, he delivers us. He delivers us, and then he restores us. He comforts us and gives us rest. I praise the Lord daily for his long-suffering with me and his mercy towards me. It's interesting that we see in the very first four verses of this chapter the four stages of 
the cycle. Verse 1. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Eighty years. Eighty years of peace. Eighty years of comfort. Eighty years of God's protection. Eighty years they went through. Eighty years they went through of loving God, serving God, obeying God, doing everything that they needed to do. Because they had a good judge. They had a good deliverer. And he would command them that they would follow the Lord. And he would be there to see that they did that. To see that they would be taught the word. To see that they would come to temple. To see that they would do the things that they were supposed to do for God. But when he died, they reverted right back to their old ways. Because he was no longer there to help them. Imagine. 80 years of peace. No wars. Nobody keeping you in bondage or carrying you away to a foreign land or or beating you up and stuff like that. Imagine. 80 years of prosperity. Imagine how wonderful it must have been. But as soon as Ehud dies, the rubber band goes back to its normal shape. And they start all over again. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now you're probably thinking and scratching your head, how can that be? How do they possibly do that? Well, we're human. We're but flesh. And if you think that's bad, read the end of the book of Revelation. Jesus comes to return to earth for a thousand years. Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years, not 80 years, a thousand years, a millennial reign. There is peace, there is safety, there is harmony, there is love, there is a man. Nobody can sin, there is no sin. A thousand years. They let Satan out of the pit. In that instant, he has an army of millions that want to come against the Lord. Oh, we are such a wicked people. We are such a wicked, wicked people whose hearts are totally far from the Lord. It's crazy. How easy it is to do evil in the sight of the Lord. It's very easy. We've talked about it. We don't have to go back and talk about that at length. But but how did Israel do evil in the sight of the Lord? What was the evilness of their ways? Well, we saw this in other chapters. First of all, they didn't follow his commandments. They didn't seek him with their whole hearts. They didn't tell their children about God's miraculous works, how God miraculously delivered them. How Shamgard killed all those Philistines with an ox goad. They, they didn't tell and keep the stories going. The children themselves didn't seek God for themselves. They didn't look for his mercy and they forsook him. Then they compromised with their enemy. They made covenants with their enemies like us making covenants with the world. And wanting to become real worldly. Well, we'll be worldly and we'll be Christian. But you can't straddle that fence. You can't walk that walk. Because you'll always be miserable. One way or the other, you'll always be miserable. Always. And Israel failed again because instead of showing the true love of God, which was what God had wanted them to do all along, they became like the people they lived around. They became just like them. Instead of keeping up with the Joneses, they were keeping up with the Philistines. 
They were keeping up with the other people who they lived around. They were taking up their women and giving them to their sons to marriage. There was intermarriage. And the next thing you know, they're serving their gods. They're serving the Baals. They're serving Ashtoreth. They're serving all the other gods. See, when they repented, and this is an important point, folks, when they repented, it was not true repentance. I call it a religious repentance. They repented on the outside. They repented on the outside. They didn't repent in their heart. They didn't repent truly in their heart. That's a religious experience. Jesus railed against the Pharisees and called them hypocrites because on the outside, they were beautiful. But they were whitewashed sepulchers because on the inside, they were dead. Because they wouldn't truly repent from their heart. And this is what Israel was doing. In other words, it was superficial. It was superficial. Instead of allowing themselves to be altered inside by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, they hardened their hearts. Ehud had removed the idols. He'd removed all their idols and he commanded that they worship God, the one true living God. But they didn't remember the mighty works of God. And that's one of the reasons why, folks, every month we celebrate communion. We celebrate communion so that we can remember what Christ did for us on a cross thousands of years ago. We remember his sacrifice and what it meant and what it means to us. We can never forget and we need to teach our children the same thing. We need to teach our grandchildren. We need to teach those around us about the meaning of the crucifixion, the meaning of the cross. We were praying. The Lord gave me a word that the cross is the way home. The cross is the way home. Because where is our home? Our home is really in heaven. I'm a sojourner here. I'm a pilgrim. The cross is the way home. Israel forgot all that. They did evil in the sight of the Lord once again. Verse 2, so the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Hargosheth, Hagoyim. This is discipline. We had disobedience. They did evil. Now we're at discipline. Verse 2, God says, okay, fine. I'm going to allow you to go into bondage to this king of Canaan. He's going to be your king now, and he's going to be really, really bad to you. He's going to treat you terrible for a long time. This king had a henchman, and his name was Caesarea. And we see in verse 3 that Jabin was well armed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. For 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Even when God is dealing with us in this way, it still makes good time before we turn our hearts. It took Israel 20 years. They suffered with this for 20 years before they finally turned and said, God, help us. Well, how long do we suffer? How long do we suffer needlessly before we cry out to our God, before we come back and we repent to our God? How long do we suffer? We can do that right now. We can get out of bondage right now. The Son has set you free. You are free indeed. We are free in Christ. So again in verse 3, we see the third part of the cycle, which is the despair. The children of Israel cried out. They cried out after 20 years. They cry out to God. God, deliver us. God, deliver us, please. 
And then in verses 4 and 5, we see the entrance of the deliverer. Now Deborah, or Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. <laughs> You're going to love this. I've given you the names of Othanel, power of God. Give you the names of Ehud, means stronger. Give you the name of uh, Shamgar, which means destroyer. Deborah means bee. Actually, it's more like the bumblebee, B-E-E. Bumblebee. But she was judging Israel at the time. If you're not familiar with what a judge did, a judge sat in a very important spot. If he was a judge in the city, they would sit at the city gate. And if you had a problem and you needed to have this problem solved, I sold Pat a donkey and she only gave me half the money, said she would pay me later. So I take her to the judge and I go, hey, you got a rule here. And that's what the judge did. The judge then took God's law and applied it to the situation. That's what the judge did. There were judges in the land. And although this was an act of mercy and grace on the Lord's part, because he sent Deborah, the bee, it was an act of humiliation. It was an act of humiliation for the nation Israel. Why? Because at this time, the nation Israel was male-dominated. It was a male-dominated society. And none of the men had stepped up. You know, when you apply that to today's world, and it saddens my heart when I see men not taking the spiritual leadership of their families, when men don't step up and become the spiritual head of their family as God had designed it. First Christ, then the man, then the woman. That's the God's design. He doesn't lord it over the woman. He just leads in spiritual matters. He leads in the spiritual things of the household. And it just grieves my heart when I see that happening in front of me and I see marriage after marriage after marriage struggle and struggle and struggle because the man hasn't been able to take his spot. Either he doesn't want to, which is a lot of the times, or number two, it's because the woman won't let him. And a lot of times, in the absence of the man taking his responsibility, the woman then takes her responsibility to take care of the kids in a spiritual matter. And you see this all the time. Praise God, they're getting some spiritual things from mom. But it's a sad thing. It's not God's plan. It's not God's plan. Happens all the time. So we read that the fourth judge now is a woman. She's a prophetess. She's not only a judge, but she's a prophetess. The Bible speaks a lot about prophetesses. Moses' sister Miriam was known as a prophetess. You can find that in Exodus 15, 20. There are other ladies in the scriptures as well who are known as prophetesses. Huldah in 2 Kings 22, 14. Nodiah in Nehemiah 6, 14. Anna in Luke 2, 36. And the four daughters of Philip 
in Acts 21.9. They were all known as prophetesses. It shows that women can be used mightily by God. Women can be used mightily by God. Remember, the whole theme of the book of Judges is to be available. To be available so God can use you. And here we have this woman now is available, and God is going to use her mightily. God had obviously called Deborah at a time like this to be both prophetess and judge. It's interesting because I've always told you that when you're studying the Bible, what is the best commentary on the Bible? The Bible. In chapter 5, when they have the song of Deborah, we learn a lot more about what went on, and we're going to refer to it a couple times today. But it's interesting in verse 7, if you look in verse 7, now Deborah is speaking here in verse 7 of chapter 5. It said, village life ceased, it ceased in Israel. She was talking about Israel's demise until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. She views herself as the mother of Israel at this time. Because not only is she a judge, the deliverer, remember that your word for judge is Shabbat, which means deliverer. So she becomes the deliverer for Israel. She's rightly viewed the Jews as wayward children. She felt that the Jews were wayward children and they needed her counsel and her guidance. And she was right. She was right. So we see Deborah is introduced to us. Let's look at 6 and 7. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoen from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulon. And against you I will deploy... Sesera, the commander of Jabin's army, and with his chariots and his multitudes at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. She's asking him a question. Hasn't God said, go do this? So God is now speaking through her as a prophetess, speaking through her, and she's looking at Barak and said, hey, go lead the army. Go get the army. And I love these words. Didn't God say, I will deliver him into your hands? Another, deliver the whole army into your hands? Come on, that's got to strike a bell. Who do you think of immediately? Joshua. God said the same thing to Joshua. Every place you put your foot, I've given to you. Have I not given them to you? Have I not delivered this city into your hand, that city in your hand? Here, Barak has God's promise that he is going to deliver this Jabin into his hands if he would only take the army of 10,000. We're going to find out in a couple chapters that 10,000 is too many. If he would just take 10,000 and go against this army, God would give him into his hands. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. I love Barak's reply. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Excuse me. God's telling you to go. The Old Testament book of Judges that we've been studying with Pastor Dave Shank gives us a glimpse into the intriguing history of the nation of Israel. The continuous pattern we discover finds them following God, then turning away from Him, becoming aware of their sin, and finally repenting and stepping back into God's path. Each time, God brought a judge to lead them creatively back to Himself, showing His power and mercy time and time again. 
Israel's history is one we still see today. Many of us fall into the same cyclical relationship with God. We follow Him for a time, fall into sin, and need to be reminded of our errors. God is always faithful to forgive us, though, when we come to Him in repentance. His mercy is new every day, and He's big enough to cover every sin. We're so glad you've tuned in today to Cape Watch Radio. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard. If you have any questions about this ministry, or if you want to know more about the forgiveness God can offer you, please give us a call. Our phone number is 609-884-5821. We'd love to pray with you, and we'll do our best to answer your questions. That phone number again is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from Cape Watch Radio, just visit our website, capewatchradio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks for being a part of our time here today. We hope you'll join us again on Cape Watch Radio.